going to look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 47, 42 and following. And uh, I'll have the scripture reading first, and then uh, we'll go into the uh, sermon part. Beginning to read at verse uh, 42. You know what? We're going to stand and recite these verses together. This, uh, just, just the background here, it's the day of Pentecost and uh, has come, and uh, then this is what's going on uh, day by day uh, following the day of Pentecost. Uh, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you. Please be seated. What, a, what an experience that would have been. I'd like to tell you a story about something that happened in our very first church. And this was uh, such, a, such a highlight with a happy outcome. It, uh, it concerned Bonnie and Jerry, a wonderful young couple. They were both school teachers. They had difficult, challenging pasts. There were three broken marriages between them. Uh, Jerry considered himself an alcoholic, though he was dry. They were currently unchurched, though they had some church background. And uh, in the church, we were able to observe and experience with them how they began to follow Christ seriously. They joined the church, and they were baptized at the first opportunity. But the way that Jerry tells it, he says, when they first came to our little town, by the way, it was Fort St. James, British Columbia. I, I wonder how many of you have any idea where that is on the map. When we first heard about it, you know, everybody uh, says, oh, yeah, Fort St. John. No, Fort St. James. Uh, it's, uh, it's just past Prince George on the Prince Rupert Highway on the Yellowhead and then about 45 minutes north. So it's about an hour west and then straight north of Vanderhoof. Uh, that particular uh, town used to be the capital of New Caledonia before BC, BC became a province. And uh, there was a trading post there. And... Uh, during the time we were there, they restored the, uh, the, the trading posts for the experience of you know, tourism and, and, as well as our own experience. But the way that uh, Jerry uh, tells the story, they came to this town to teach, and he said it seemed that every one of those new people that he met and admired, if he met them and he admired them, it seems that they were part of that church. So it was pretty natural for he and, uh, and um, Bonnie... Uh, to, to come to church when they were in, invited. 
And uh, Jerry told how he picked up a bulletin as he came in and noticed that there were several Bible study groups that were in the uh, announcements. And uh, he was saying to himself, well, isn't that what, yeah, church is supposed to be about? Well, they kept attending, and I remember Jerry asking probably the first Sunday evening about tithing. Do you tithe from the gross or from the net? And uh, then the next week he asked about how to join the church. And so we arranged a visit, and uh, Marvin Anderson was a key elder in the church, and he and myself, we went to visit Jerry. And uh, so we explained to him and to her uh, that uh, to be a member of the Evangelical Free Church, you simply have to have accepted Jesus, and then uh, that you go along, accept the doctrines of the church. Well, Jerry was a very analytical kind of a person, and uh, he, he wasn't sure whether he had crossed that line yet or not. And uh, being the kind of person he was, I think he looked at it from all kinds of angles and so on. And, and so I finally just said, well, Jerry, if, if, you, if, if you could honestly get on your knees and say, Lord, if I haven't accepted you yet, I do so now. And he said, oh, I've done that many times. And so uh, Marvin said to him, well, you know what, I'm more sure about your salvation than you are, and that's because I've known the Lord longer. And uh, so they, uh, they accept, they, they joined the church, and being in a, in a free church, they didn't have to be baptized on condition of membership, so they were baptized at the first opportunity, which was after the lake had thawed out, okay? It's <laughs> the way we did it back there. <laughs> And uh, so they were baptized, so now they've uh, accepted the Lord, they've joined the church, they've been baptized. Then I'm, I'm, away from a, I'm away a few days, and I come back home, and then Marvin talks to me and says, oh, we've got a new issue to deal with. He said, uh, Jerry came and confessed to us that they're not married yet. And uh, so we had to deal with that. And what made it a little bit complicated was that her last divorce wasn't finalized yet. And so that's when a young seminarian in his first church is so glad that he's got a board of mature people that can help process these difficult situations. And I look back on that and I know I'm confident it was well handled. And, uh, but you know, they became such an important, vital part of our church. And that's not the end of the story. Jerry and Bonnie took early retirement they made several trips to a communist country, teaching English and being witnesses. And uh, Jerry has since passed away, but Bonnie continues in her role, and we're still getting emails from Bonnie announcing her coming and going. Uh, and it's sort of secretive because she doesn't want it to be known what country that she's talking about, etc., etc. But just a, a wonderful story in terms of. Uh, the outcome, a very happy outcome in our church. Um, yeah, a very happy story about church and outreach. And before I, before I uh, get uh, serious about that, I just want to give you a little further human interest. Uh, I thought it was kind of neat when, uh, not too long after they had uh, become members of the church, Bonnie said to me that, you know, she's go I'm going to Edmonton, and uh, since I'm part of this new family, I don't think I should have to stay in a motel room. I think somebody here in Edmonton should be able to host me. So I called uh, Knox Evangelical Free Church and said, you know, could you take care of it? And then afterwards, when they came back, I asked Bonnie, and oh yeah, she had been hosted all right. And do you know, do you know who she got to live with for one or two nights? 
Harry Strom, <laughs> former premier. I mean, uh, and his wife. He, uh, she, she was a school teacher. So you can imagine how how interesting that would be for her to talk to the former premier of Alberta. But uh, I thought there's a little lesson there too that if you are humble enough to ask for help, you get the very best. <laughs> okay, but. In terms of church and outreach, Jerry and Bonnie naturally felt at home because of the number of friendships they already had in our church. And when they committed their lives to Christ, they were already in a warm web of relationships. Talk about follow-up. It was automatic. Now here's the question related to outreach. Who was the human agent? Who won this neat couple to the Lord? Was it the pastor? Was it any one individual? Was it because of an evangelistic program? No. All of the above. No but it was what we might call body life evangelism. Many different parts of the body working together. And as the church had reasonably good ministries for the people that were already there, the same church was able to minister to people coming in as well. It was the church being the church. And I'm doing a number of messages related to this topic, being a good church. And I've already started. We talked about Matthew, you know, Matthew 16, uh, a couple Sundays ago, where Jesus said, I will build my church. And then the day of our Sunday school picnic, we looked at this passage, which shows that what was going on in that church was happening in a web, if you like, or in the venue on the venue of relationships, the people working together. All of these functions were happening. You know, there are many things in the, in the book of Acts that we can't even hope to duplicate, nor are we called to. Miracles are not something that you can grab hold of and say, Lord, we need a miracle, do a miracle. And uh, there's no indication that the people, people kept on living in a commune where they, where they shared all their possessions equally and so on and so forth. But there are other things there that are, I would say, not only transferable, but they are essential in every church, in every time and place. I'm talking about the learning, the teaching, the apostles' teaching here, God's Word being taught. I'm talking about prayer, I'm talking about the breaking of bread, I'm talking about the close fellowship. I'm talking about praising the Lord and reaching out beyond themselves. These are vital. These are part of what it means to be good church. But uh, as I pointed out, and I want to just say it again, that all of these functions were happening in their experience of community. They were learning from the apostles, but they were doing it together. They were breaking bread, but they were doing it together. They were worshiping, that is praising, and they're doing it together. And they're praying, and their prayer meetings was also together. Not saying we shouldn't 
have our private prayers, but we need the togetherness in that as well. And so you could call it the experience of community being the venue in which the other things took place. And it's out of that that you get what is declared in verse 47. They were reaching out. People were being added to the church. As it says, the Lord was adding day by day to the church, to their number, those who are being saved. As we look at verse 47, I want to make two points that are explicit in that text. And then the third point is practical. Where does it leave us today in terms of being a healthy church? But the first one, very obvious there, number one, the Lord was building the church. The Lord was being, and the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. Exactly like he had said a few weeks earlier, Matthew 16, his mission statement, I will build my church. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's building his church. And the lordship of Christ is being stressed in, in the way they go about it. They're learning his teaching from the apostles. Remember what he, had, uh, what he had said to the apostles before he ascended. You are to teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Part of making disciples. And here that's what's going on. They're being taught by the apostles. But again, it's God's teaching. It's the Lord's teaching they're being taught. And of course, they're praising him. Uh, they're praying to him, expressing their dependence upon him. And, uh, and so he is emphasized throughout here. It's the Lord that is being exalted. And he is building his church. And we see his lordship being stressed throughout the book of Acts. And I want to say today that whatever kind of a step-by-step -step process that you have in your mind of how a person becomes a Christian, the most important part is him. It's that commitment to him as Lord and Savior that makes one a Christian. The Lord was building his church. But the second thing I note, and it's very practical, I think, to, to really think about the second one, and that is that effective outreach or evangelism came out of the whole church experience. It's not as if outreach was a separate ministry isolated from the rest. But rather, people were being added to the church in the context of the many good things that were going on. In the context of all that fellowship and all that teaching and the vibrancy of the togetherness that they had. In the context of the whole thing, people were being saved. There was fellowship, there was breaking of bread, there was prayer. There was generous sharing with one another. There was hospitality as the people were meeting in homes and eating together. And they were praising God. It's interesting too that in verse 45 uh, or verse 47, it indicates the credibility that they had. It says that uh, the Lord, uh, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Isn't that what we want in our community? We want to have the kind of credibility where we're enjoying the favor of the people around us. 
credibility. But in the context of that kind of health and vibrancy, you see, evangelism was just a natural outgrowth. They had to intentionally do evangelism when they planted a new church. And you'll have, you know, Apostle Paul, his Mars Hill sermon, and so on and so forth. But here the church now, after Pentecost, was established. And the Lord just kept adding people in the context of a healthy church. Each new person then was being enfolded into the same dynamic. Just like Bonnie and Jerry that I told you about. It was so natural for them to be enfolded in the context of the church because they were already connected even before they made their commitment. And so evangelism then was part of the overall cohesive tapestry of the whole church experience. Something else here too, apparently there was a one-to-one ratio between those who responded to the gospel and those who were coming into the church. It says that. The Lord added day by day those who were being saved, added to the number. I think maybe, maybe we don't do evangelism the way we should when people seem to think that they can accept Jesus over here and then, oh yeah, then becoming part of the church is an option and some of them will, will say, yeah, I need to be part of the church, I guess. It wasn't like that. But there was a one-to-one ratio. The Lord was building His church. It was out of the holistic, positive church experience. And I'm saying with those kind of things going on, It's no wonder that more and more people were coming. Well, that was then. This is now. Bringing it closer to home, what might be some of the practical implications for us? I want to make four observations here that are practical. And I promise you that every one of those observations as a recommendation. It's feasible. You might be a church of 30 people. You might be a church of 300 people. You might be a mega church. But all four of these observations are within reach. First, a good church remembers whose church it is. The Lord was adding, it was to his church. Not the pastor's church, not the charter member's church, not the church of a few controlling personalities, but a healthy church will be jealous for what he stands for, who he cares for, what really matters to him. And those of us who get to be members of his church, we will hold our own personal preferences loosely. Because after all, we are stewards of what he wants. And because of that, corporate worship becomes a priority because it's a way of making a statement to the Lord and a statement publicly that he is first. And so... That's part of it. You know, you come together on Sunday morning or Saturday night, whatever your time of worship happens to be. It isn't just what you get out of it. It isn't just that you're glorifying the Lord, which is the most important part, but you're also making a statement. I am one of these Canadians who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and gets my first priority, and that is an inadvertent 
And it can be intentional statement we make simply by coming together for corporate worship. And uh, because it's his church, the teaching of his word becomes priority. Because it's his church, prayer becomes priority. And, uh, and we realize that we're not owners, so we are stewards. We try to manage it in a way that fits with it being his church. Good church remembers whose church it is. Secondly, a good church takes care of its own. It's pretty obvious that these people in First Church Jerusalem were happy campers. All of that excitement and that generous spirit, that strong togetherness, and the people taking care of each other. Verse 45 says that they were giving to people as they had need. And you'll probably remember in Acts chapter 6 where we, we often think that that was the first deacons. I don't think we're totally sure about that. But uh, the uh, situation was where the Hellenistic win- wid- widows were being neglected. And so there was a legitimate complaint made. Guess what? They deal with it. And so they establish a, a program so that these widows will not be neglected. Good church takes care of its own. I like the words that uh, Don Pastorsky wrote some years ago. He said this, In the past, preachers, preachers could be heard proclaiming the church is the one organization in the world that exists to serve people who are not members. God's people live to serve others. But then he says, It may not sound spiritual or by past stands very virtuous, but good churches in Canada look after the needs of their members first and then express their concerns for others. I agree. If there has to be a first, maybe there doesn't have to be a first. But a good church takes care of its own. But you might say, well, how in the world then does that relate to outreach? And I want to tell you a story. Uh, My mom was a widow for 16 years. And then uh, she married my uh, dad's second cousin, Hawken Alstead, who had become a widower. And uh, we had, the families had known each other forever. And uh, it's kind of interesting now that I have a stepsister who is also my third cousin, you know. But uh, what was interesting was that uh, my mom was Ingeborg Alsted, and she married Hawken Alsted, and they asked me to do the ceremony, so I signed uh, Lloyd Alsted. And uh, that raised a few suspicions. And uh, they even got a a phone call from the uh, registration office whether there had been some mistake or not, you know, in the way we signed all of that stuff. But uh, I remember a few months before they got married, mom was kind of feeling us out to see how would we feel about it. And uh, I remember saying to her, I said, you know, the way that Hawken took care of Gertrude is an indication of how he will care for you. And I've made, a, <laughs> I've made a lot of dumb statements in my day, but that was one of my better statements, okay? Because it was true. Uh, Gertrude had had a series of strokes, and Hawken had been good to her. He had served her. He had looked after her. 
And so I made that statement to my mom that, you know, that's an indicator of what he'd be like. And of course, he did take care of my mom. And here's the thing. The way we take care of the people we already have is an indicator how well we will take care of the newer people coming in. I mean, that's not, that's not rocket science. And unless we are ministering well to the ones we already have, it's unlikely we will minister well to those we haven't got. Or here's another way of looking at it. How can we really, with integrity, try to take care of the ones that we don't have yet, or just as they're looking at us, if we're neglecting the people that are already committed and with us and that we have a first responsibility for? And so it becomes a yes to both. We take care of the people we have, and that's an indicator how we will take care of newer people coming. But that brings me to the third observation. A good church has an outward posture. We can take care of the people we have, we can give them priority, at the same time we can have an outward posture. In a conference entitled The Future of Denominations, Peter Drucker made this statement, and he was coming at it from a business standpoint, but this, it's common sense. Any enterprise begins to die when it's run for the benefit of the insiders rather than for the benefit of outsiders. I think of Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23, and verse 22 is sort of like a summary of that passage or that section there. He says, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And he's in that context saying that to people who are under the law, I'm approaching them as I'm under the law. And to people without the law, I'm able to accommodate them accordingly. And I'm able to be all, I'm able to accommodate so that I can reach people. And that's part of it. That's part of a good church. You know what kind of people are in the area, so you try to, to accommodate yourself culturally, let's say, and language-wise and so on, so that you can reach them. Now, uh, we have to remember, too, that when the Lord blesses us, as I said last week, He doesn't only have us in mind, but He blesses us to be a blessing. And so even though we especially take care of our own, we still have that outward posture. And you say, well, wait, wait a minute, here's a contradiction. You've been saying that we take care of our own, and you're saying we have an outward posture. You're saying that our first priority is our own, and yet we are to accommodate to others. How, how do you deal with that? Who comes first? Which comes first? And I'm saying yes to both, okay? And it's here that I have a, a, an object lesson that I want to act out and show you how that we can say yes to both. I asked some members of the worship team if they'd come up here and, and demonstrate something. I'm, I'm indebted to Dan Cochran of a Crossroads Church in Red Deer for uh, showing us this analogy when we had a retreat seminar with him. But first I'd like you guys to form a friendship circle. Pretend you're friends, hold hands tight, and smile at each other. Very good. Okay? And that's how we do it instinctively, right? A friendship circle. But then Cochran, Dan Cochran showed us there's another way we can form a circle. And so would you go for it? And now you look at these people. They're hooked. 
They will support each other. If one of them stumbles, the other two will hold them up, right? They can, even, they can even feel the pulse beat of each other, I think. They're really close. And yet they're looking outward, okay? And so I think that's the answer to the apparent contradiction. Thank you. Thank you for, my, for that. Uh, give them a hand, you guys. They're, they're good sports. I just sprung, a, I, I sprung it on them this morning, and I know they weren't intimidators. It's just a matter of how am I supposed to do this thing. But yeah, the answer is yes. We take care of our own, but we're looking outward. We're looking outward. Um, we don't want anyone to be missed. The newer people, as well as the ones who have been around for a while. And so we look for ways of including others, new people, in our friendships, in our relationship circles, even in the way we do church, worship teams, and so on. Everything we do takes newer people into consideration. True of our worship teams, true of our small groups, true of our dinners, our work bees. You see, each of these is a potential venue for those who are on the outside to become insiders. Those types of things. And it's true regardless of where they see their self on the Christian journey. It's true of those who are committed, mature Christians who have come here because they're in the church shuffle. People move around. They, they change locations. And so they change church, church, churches. They're part of the new people coming in. Those who have kind of fallen away, but they're on the way back. Those who are seekers. And they say, you know, I need to check this thing out. What is Christianity all about? Oh, where's the logical place to look? Sunday morning worship service. You check things out. And you know, um, part of it, and I think Jerry and Bonnie illustrates it very well too, and that is for most people, becoming a Christian is a process. It's not like they simply pray to accept Jesus the first time they hear about it and then they are truly born again. No, it's for most people, it's a process. And for a lot of people, that experience of belonging comes before believing. It's when we feel that I like to be with these people, I'm comfortable with these people, that's when I can really hear the gospel and consider it seriously. I was thinking that with these young people, including children that were up here. What a wonderful way to be integrated, to be part of that worship team. They probably haven't decided yet in many cases whether to be Christians or not. It doesn't matter. It's part of being integrated and it's part of preparation so that they become Christians. I like the way Tim Keller has uh, described something similar. He says, a missional church must be, in a sense, porous. That is, it should expect non-believers and inquirers and seekers to be involved in most aspects of the church's life and ministry. I think he's right. It certainly fits my experience as I was becoming more and more serious about the need to follow Christ. But it was because I was already in a web of relationships within the church. And so, yeah, that's it. People are people. Whether they're Christians yet or not, people are people and they need an accepting congregation. It's true of wherever they are on their Christian journey. And the wonderful thing is we can be part of it. We can be channels. 
And so a common denominator from our side is always we love God and we love our neighbor, whoever the neighbor is. But of course, that love is especially experienced in relationships. And that's my last observation. A good church promotes relationships. And certainly that was evident in Acts chapter 2. But in our era also, studies seem to report consistently that relationships are the single most significant factor, factor in people's experiences in terms of their remaining or not. And it's usually the most significant factor in whether they make a commitment, an initial commitment. And that's not to suggest that you have to be able to relate to everybody in the church or that you even have to know everybody in the church. But we have to do church in a way, structurally, in the way that gives opportunity for all people to have a few that they can relate to closely. Relationships is what keeps them going, and it's usually what gets them started. Church growth consultant Wynn Arn states that, and I quote, over the course of numerous church growth seminars that we have conducted across the country, we have asked more than 10,000 people how they came to faith in Christ and membership in their churches. And here's the breakdown. We have found that usually from 3 to 5% say they simply walked in and stayed. 3 to 4% list the program as the reason they are now in their churches. The pastor accounts for from 4 to 6%. Special needs from 2 to 4%. Visitation accounts for 1 to 2% of the members. Sunday school brings in from 3 to 6%. Crusades less than 1%. Friends and relatives are listed by from 75 to 90% of the reason why lay people are now in Christ and in his church. Now that was obviously research that was done in the U.S. and a number of years ago. I suspect that if we were to do one in Canada today, it would be somewhat similar. The exact percentages, of course, would vary. But that usually friends and relatives are that factor that gets us started on the journey and keeps us going. And that is consistent with a healthy church taking care of its own members and at the same time having an outward focus. And so in summary, a good church is positioned to pass on their blessings to more and more people and there are many other factors, I'm sure, but among them are these. It remembers whose church it is. It takes care of its own. It's postured to be leaning outward. And it does church in such a way that its people are encouraged, given opportunity to develop close, loving relationships. You know what's encouraging about this is that every one of us can participate. It's not about, it's not only those who have special gifts. It's not only those in positions of leadership. It's not only those whose talents bring them up front. 
but everyone is needed. For whatever you do to help the church to be a good, healthy church, at the same time contributes to outreach. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things we can mention before you. We do thank you that we can be part of this wonderful program for men and women to hear the gospel, to respond to it, to become disciples. The team approach where we can work together, we thank you. And we pray now that in this church, in your church, we, we will be alert to how we can be a church that takes good care of the people that are here, but at the same time embraces those who seek us out. Give us wisdom. Continue to give us opportunity. Honor yourself through us. In Jesus' name, amen.